So how many of you have heard of Steve Jobs? Almost all of you. Okay. Uh, so Steve Jobs was born in 1955 in San Francisco. He grew up in the Bay Area when he was 21 years old, 1976, along with Steve Wozniak, started Apple Computers out of that garage, his parents' house, and built Apple Computers, obviously, into a very successful company. In 1985, he was forced out of Apple, and he started uh, several other companies. And then in 1997, one of those companies merged with Apple, and Steve Jobs again became the leader of his former company, which was on the verge of bankruptcy at the time. He revived Apple, and in 2007, he was named the most powerful person in business by Forbes magazine. In 2008, he was diagnosed with cancer, but he continued to lead Apple until just a few weeks before he died, which was on October the 5th, 2011. At the time of his death, Apple was worth $350 billion. Steve Jobs' personal net worth was $10.2 billion. Many of you probably saw the movie about him, which came out in 2015. He's revered. He's quoted a lot. And of the quotes that I have seen, the one that I like the, the best, I think, is, is this one, which will be on the screen. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. Pretty good words. Well, what we're going to do is, uh, in a little while, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about a character that reminds me a lot of Steve Jobs. But before we get into that, let's just do a little review. We're in this series on Jesus. We've talked about Jesus as the Son of God, the healer, our example. And then last week, Pastor Alex talked about Jesus, the revolutionary. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus, our Savior. And I really appreciate the worship team and how they led us in worship in thinking about Jesus as our Savior. Now, how we're going to do that, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is in Romans. It's probably the clearest depiction of the saving work of Jesus. And then we're going to look at this story where the main character reminds me of Steve Jobs. So, the first passage is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. Before we read that together, let me just set it up for you. Paul, up to this point in the book of Romans, has built this case for the fact that we're all in trouble. That our very best efforts at being good 
fall way short of the standard that God has set for righteousness. So he does a good job of reminding us, of telling us that we are in a world of hurt. And then comes this great, wonderful passage where we hear this awesome news about Jesus as our Savior. You want to read it with me? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. There's four big theological words in this passage that I feel like I I need to kind of unpack and define for us in order to make the impact of this passage be what it should be for us, okay? The first one is righteousness. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness means to be made right, to have a right relationship with God to be acceptable before God. See, we got this problem, which Paul reminded us of prior to this passage. Our sin has created a messed up relationship with God. We have kind of pushed God off to the side. We've ignored God. We've said, no thanks God, I got this. And that attitude of ignoring God creates this chasm, this separation between us and God because God respects our freedom to make that choice. And he says, okay, have it your way. And he steps back. But God is not okay with this chasm, this separation. And so he intervenes and sends Jesus and says, if you will do your part, which is to believe, to put your trust, your faith in Jesus, I am going to straighten all this out. I'm going to deal with this problem, this separation, so that you can be right with God so that you can have righteousness. The second word is justified. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. And I'll stop there. Justified. When I was growing up in Sunday school, I was taught to think as 
when I think of justified, to think just as if I'd never sinned. Has anybody ever heard that before? I see a few hands. Justification, to be justified, is the process by which God makes us righteous. So it involves a process. Something has to be done to deal with the guilt of our sin. And that something is grace. Are justified freely by his grace. Now, this is counterintuitive. And by the way, you're doing really good with all this theological stuff. Hang with me. I'm going to define this stuff and, and it'll help you, but I, I appreciate it. Um, so, I think folks kind of intuitively have this thing, this thought that in order for me to be righteous, to have a right relationship with God, it involves something I do. Enrolling in some kind of self-improvement plan. Doing better. But that's not the case. This righteousness, this saving work is not about you. It's not about how good or bad you are. The text says, are justified freely through his grace. So it, it is not something that you can earn. It is a gift. Something that God wants to give you. The next word is redemption. Are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption. Redemption is payment or ransom. Most of you know the common usage of that term ransom, right? When someone kidnaps someone... They demand a ransom, which is money to be paid to the perpetrator in exchange for the return of the person kidnapped. Okay, in this usage, our sin, our ignoring God has created this distance, this separation. We've been kidnapped from God, and in Christ... He pays our ransom. He makes it possible for us to be returned to this right relationship through his death on the cross. One more word. And that, come to the, please take me to the passage, is atonement. So, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Atonement. 
That's very similar to, to redemption. And in order to understand the definition, how, what atonement is, you have to understand the Old Testament idea of blood sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they gave sacrifices to God and on one particular day of the year called the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum of the temple, and he would kill an unblemished lamb and spread its blood over the altar. This act was to be a sin offering to God. The idea was that in order for God's justice to be satisfied, something has to be done for our sin. A ransom has to be paid. And so this this blood from this unblemished, spotless lamb was that payment. This lamb shed his blood to pay for our sins. Knowing that, you see where God is going with this, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is that spotless, unblemished Lamb, lived his life in complete obedience to his Father, did not sin so that he could be that perfect sacrifice. So through his shed blood, we are bought back to God. Through his shed blood, our atonement is provided. The payment is made so that we can be righteous, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have a right relationship with God. Okay? You got it? All right, now let's look at the passage one more time in light of understanding each of those big theological words. But now, apart from the law, which is another way of saying our efforts, our our ability to keep the law, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith, that's our part, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, so we can't do this on our own. We can't earn it. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So the bottom line is that though our sin has messed up our relationship with God, Jesus comes to save us. He is our Savior. 
We don't have to live in the guilt of our sin. It's paid for. We don't have to be estranged from God. That gap is bridged through Jesus. He changes us from the inside out. We become what he desires us to be, clean and whole, and continue to walk with Jesus as we live in this relationship of love and grace and freedom. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's exciting. All right, here's our next story. I'm going to take you to Mark, Mark chapter 10. And this is where we meet the character that reminds me of Steve Jobs. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have, this, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So what we know about this man is that he was rich, he was young, and he had a place of prominence. And he comes to Jesus with this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. The problem is, It's based on a very bad assumption. He says, what must I do? Remember, we just talked about the fact that it's not something that we do. But Jesus did not confront his uh, poor theology. He kind of went with it, and he quoted these commandments And ask how the young man had done. And he said, good. I've kept all the commandments. Now at this point in time, I probably would have challenged the guy. I probably would have said, really? You're telling me you have kept all of the commandments perfectly since you were a kid? Like not even a little white Lie, but Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to the heart of the matter with this man. But before we get to that, look at verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus loves this young man. Now, what he's about to ask him is a very, very difficult thing, 
But please understand that it comes from a heart of love. He knows what this man can become. He sees his potential, and he knows what's standing in the way. But friends, can I just remind you, sometimes when God asks us to do difficult things, it's because he loves us. And he knows what's best for us. So, Jesus looks at the man and says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. Dr. Ralph Earl is a Nazarene theologian and he makes these comments on this verse, if we can have that. It is perfectly obvious that this is not a universal requirement for all Christ followers. I'm thankful for that, by the way. (laughs) But in this case, it was necessary for the young ruler's wealth was his idol. Until he surrendered this, he could not be saved. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives must Go. I'm going to read that last sentence again. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives must go. And Jesus knows that this man's first love was his wealth. And so he says, it's got to go. And we see his response at this The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. One of the saddest verses of Scripture. I mean, think about it. This young man was so gifted. Had such resources. So much potential. I mean, if this man would have answered Jesus differently, who knows? He may have been one of the great leaders of the early church that we would have read about. But as it is, we don't even know his name. All we know is that he went away sad. When I read this passage, I think of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs grew up in a a Lutheran church. He was baptized. Steve Jobs was taught about Jesus. When he was 13, he met with his pastor, had some hard questions about God. The answers that he received from his pastor were not satisfactory to Steve Jobs, and he walked away. Later in his life, he became a self-proclaimed Buddhist. And I don't know how Steve Jobs will be judged. I'm not God making pronouncements about who's in heaven and who's in hell 
is not my job. I have no desire to do that. But apparently, Steve Jobs never asked Jesus to be his savior. Just like the man in our story, I think that's so sad. Think about how gifted Steve Jobs was. Think about all the resources that he had. Think about the difference that he could have made for Christ and the kingdom. But seemingly, he walked away sad. So here's the question I have for you. What about you? Is Jesus your Savior? Through what Jesus did on the cross, is your sin paid for? Are you redeemed, justified, atoned for your sin, atoned for? I'm sure lots of you here would say, yes, yes, Jesus is my Savior, and I am eternally grateful for his saving work in my life. And I am seeking to live my life in response to his incredible love for me. There may be someone here that would say, no, Jesus is not my Savior at this point in time. Maybe like the man in our story, there's something that you know that stands between you and the saving work of Jesus. If that's you, I'm really glad you're here. I don't have any desire to pressure you or manipulate you or sing 16 verses of Just As I Am to try to get you to get saved. But the offer is there. He loves you. And he has paid the price for your sin to be forgiven. Maybe there's somebody here that would say, you know, as I think about my answer to that question, I'm just left with confusion. I have to say, I don't really know for sure. If that's you, that's not a good place to be. Don't stay there. Get some answers. Talk to somebody. Talk to me. I would love to sit down and talk with you about this issue. I'd love to have my next two weeks booked with people talking about this question. What we're going to do at this point in the service is we're going to give a time for you to respond 
The band is going to come up now. They have a great song. And I'm going to invite you to come to the altar to pray. Now, there are lots of reasons that folks can come to this altar. Uh, We're certainly praying for Elaine. You might want to come and just use this time to just intercede on behalf of Elaine. Maybe you want to come and pray for our work and witness trip. Maybe you just want to come and pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Pray a prayer of commitment. Jesus, help me to be able to share this awesome news to everyone possible. But maybe you're right at the precipice of crossing that line of faith. And you feel the Holy Spirit's tug at your heart this morning. And you're ready to invite Jesus to be your Savior. If that's you, wow. What can I do to encourage you to say, that is the best decision you will ever make? He loves you so much and he wants so much to be with you. Why stay away from him? So if that's you, I would just invite you to come and kneel. Put your faith in him. Tell him that you are going to follow him and ask him to save you. So we're going to sing and then we're going to pray. So I would just open up this altar, invite lots of you to come for whatever reason you want to come. So please respond and come.